All right, go ahead, grab your Bibles, turn if you would to Psalm 56. Elizabeth Elliot said, God is God. She said, because he is God, he is worthy of my trust and obedience, and I will find rest nowhere but in his holy will, a will that is unspeakably beyond my largest notions of what he is up to. That's what Elizabeth Elliot said about about the faithfulness of God, which is what we're going to be discussing this morning. When I woke up, I don't know why this happened, but uh, God sort of allowed me to recall this memory of this church building. And maybe some of you have seen it. I don't even think it's a church anymore, but it's a little brick building here on the corner of Center Street and Broad Street. And before we planted substance, we had uh, gone into the building a couple of times. It was for sale. And we were super excited about the possibilities uh, of it. And um, for a bunch of myriad of reasons, we, we weren't able to secure it. We weren't able to get it. And um, which is interesting because I think the building, you know, held probably about 75, 80, 100 people. And um, we would have outgrown it uh, fairly quickly, like given the, the life cycle of our church up to this point. And so it was a really interesting way for me to think about the ways that God was faithful to withhold that building from us because he already had something else in his hands, right? And in that way, the faithfulness of God is just shocking. It's just confounding. It's mind-blowing. It almost seems like it can't be so when you start really thinking about it in its depth. In fact, we have a hard time remembering it And we have a hard time believing it. And in fact, we resist it when we actually should be reflecting more on it. And we marginalize it when we should be meditating on it. Now, a couple things probably come to mind when I mention the word faithfulness. The first one might be this. When I say, hey, faithfulness, guys, it might be guilt and shame. Guilt and shame might be the thing that surfaces in your heart for how you may have been faithless in your life to somebody, for how you may have been disloyal and unreliable and untrustworthy to somebody. And it's kind of it's created a stain in your life every time you think about that or that word comes to mind. The second might be on the other side of that coin. It might be fear. It might be anger. It might be hurt because of people who have been disloyal and unreliable and maybe untrustworthy in your life. So when we think about faithfulness, in a lot of ways we find ourselves among wounded people because it draws up moments in our lives when we have either lacked faithfulness or somebody else has been incredibly unfaithful to us. And in our woundedness, some things can happen, right? We can become cynical. Right? We can begin to believe that there is no one who won't let us down. We can think, man, does anybody have integrity? Is there anybody that I can rely on? Is there anybody that I can trust in? In the Proverbs, um, Proverbs chapter 20, it says, Many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man, the, prover- the, the, the Proverbs write, who can find? Many proclaim... Many man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. So because broken trust for us, and everybody's experienced that, everybody's been on the back end of having trust broken with them, 
But because broken trust is so painful, we find it more tolerable to withhold our trust because of those reasons. So in this way, what we find out about faithfulness from the very top is that it's elusive. The Proverbs even tell us who can find somebody that's even faithful, who can find somebody that's honest, who can find somebody that has just an ounce of integrity. So faithfulness in a lot of ways is elusive to us, but what we find is that faithfulness is one of the fruits of the Spirit that Paul lays out in Galatians 5, what we've been going through these last seven weeks, which means one of the evidences that God's love has been authentically poured into our hearts through faith in Christ is that we have renewed passions and desire to be more like our faithful father, to imitate, to mimic the faithfulness that we receive from somebody who has never been faithless in our lives. So as we wrestle with failing to be faithful to others and with those who have failed to be faithful to us, what we wanna see this morning, what we wanna dive into is, well, how has God been a faithful father to us? And then secondly, we want to see how God's faithfulness brings about the fruit of faithfulness in our lives. Especially for those of you who like me, have probably been more faithless than faithful in, in your life. So if you've turned to Psalm 56, here's what we're gonna look at. When we think about how God is a faithful father, we're gonna see that God is loyal. What do you think when you, when you think of the word loyal? What surfaces to your mind when I say, hey, do you know somebody who is loyal? You would probably say, well, yeah, they've, They've remained true to me. It's somebody that I feel like has always been for me. When the chips are down, they don't run the other way. They stick to me. And what we know about loyalty is that and we have a deep longing for loyalty. And we also have a deep fear about people that might be disloyal to us. And of course, what we know about God is that God is loyal. Have you ever thought about God that way? that God is actually loyal to those that he saves. Look at what David says about loyalty in Psalm 56. He says, be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. He says, my enemies trample on me all day long for many attack me proudly. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid what can flesh do to me? All day long, they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime, will they escape? In wrath, cast down the peoples, O God. So David has been captured here by the Philistine army and in his great fear, he sings a song of lament and he comes to this interesting conclusion in the form of a question and he says, what can flesh do to me? He says, what can man do to me? And when you read that, if you're like me, you go, what can man do to you, David? Didn't you just say what man is doing to you? Didn't you just say they trample on you? They oppress you, they attack you? They injure you, they stir up strife for you. So what the heck? What is David trying to say here? Is he just being macho? Is he kind of pumping himself up? Is he flexing his muscles? Is he saying like, I got this? 
Well, I don't think so. He tells us he's afraid because he's now under the control of his enemy. Or is he, right? Maybe you can recall people who have trampled on you, who have pressed down on you, who have attacked you, who have injured you, who've stirred up strife in your life and you feel like nobody has been there to speak for you, to fight for you, to deliver you. And of course, it's in these moments you're asking, is anyone for me? Is there anybody for me? Do I have anyone who is loyal to me? Is there a faithful person that I can find? Well, David believes that he's found one as we continue in verse eight. All day long, I'm sorry, you have kept count of my tossings, David says. You have put my fears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust. I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? What David is saying is God has not turned his back on me. In fact, it's just the opposite. Do you see what he says there in verse 8? He says, all my tossings and my tears are numbered. They're stored up by God. He's not negligent. And then he makes this really beautiful statement. He says, this I know that God is for me. It's almost like language we feel like we would use today. It almost feels a little out of place in the, the way that he says it. David is saying, God will remain loyal to me so he has my trust. He's worthy of my trust because never in my life has he betrayed that trust. So great is God's loyalty to David that even when David's life, like right now, is hanging in the balance of death, David sees his life in light of God's faithfulness to deliver his soul from it. Read with me verse 12. It says, I must perform my vows to you, O God, and I will render thank offerings to you. Thank offerings? I mean, he's still in the clutch of the Philistines, but look what he says. He says, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. So maybe you're like David. Maybe you've had people betray you, break their promises to you, and it's left you in a place of physical and emotional and spiritual vulnerability where people have failed you, what this reminds us of is that God is faithful to you. If you are afraid, you can trust in him because he is for you. He will remain loyal to you. He will stick with you. But then if you're like me, something rises up in your heart and you say, but Ronnie, I'm too afraid. After all of that that you described, that is true of my life. I'm too afraid to put my trust in God. To which I say, I know, I am too. But then I remember that my fear is not unknown to God. And that by not bringing my fear before the Lord, it means all I have left is to trust myself. And what the Bible tells us is that that's never a trustworthy place to be in. Why? 
Why is that? I mean, aren't I not supposed to trust my heart? Don't we see that just kind of thrown at us all the time? You got to trust your heart. You got to go with your gut. You got to believe in yourself. Isn't that what it says on all the t-shirts, right? Isn't that what they always say in all the movies? Trust your heart, at least in all the Hallmark movies, right? The problem is that the Bible says our hearts are not loyal to us. That's the problem. They betray us. They're unfaithful to us. Deuteronomy eleven sixteen says, take care. It's not waving goodbye at you right now. It says, take care lest your heart be deceived and you turn aside and serve other gods and worship them. This was the instruction to the Israelites and how they were to live before the Lord. Take care. Don't let your heart be deceived. Why? Well, Jeremiah tells us in chapter 17, 9, he says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. You guys probably don't think of your heart as being desperately sick. And then he says, who can understand it? In other words, the things that we think are true about the things we think aren't necessarily true. Why? Because our heart tells us something different than the reality and truth that God has in his heart. That's why we don't trust our hearts because they're disloyal to us. They're disloyal to God. They will cause us to look inside of ourselves for help and for hope. Our hearts cause us to look in vacant places to fill our fears. They cause us to become self-reliant. But here's what else we know about God besides his loyalty is that he's reliable. He's somebody that we can place our reliance on. And one of the unique ways that God shows his reliability to us is that he gives us more than we can handle. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I'm going to make a hard, hard right and go all the way into the New Testament. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. So God is loyal. God is also reliable. And one of the unique ways that he shows his reliability to us, and we're going to unpack this because it sounds odd at first, is that he gives you more than you can handle. Now listen, I know what some of you are thinking. You're saying this to me right now. You're saying, doesn't the Bible say God will never give you more than you can handle? Well, actually, it, it doesn't say that at all. In fact, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 tells us this. It says, God will never let you be tempted beyond your ability to resist temptation. That's what it actually says. Some people have taken that verse and they've sort of turned it into this like coffee mug t-shirt slogan that says, God will never give you more than you can handle. But when we look at 2 Corinthians 1, 8 through 9, the words of Paul here, this is what we see. Verse 8, for we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, Paul says, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. That sounds like more than you can handle right there. And then verse 9, he says, indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. There's that God who raises the dead stuff again. The God who delivers us from death stuff again that we read over and over 
and scripture. And why that gets brought up so much in scripture is so that it gets brought up in our minds as often as possible. Listen, if God has the power to raise the dead, then he can be counted on, right? During the trials and the testings that you and I are going to experience. Paul was burdened, it says, beyond his strength. Has that ever been you? Have you ever been so burdened that you don't think you can get out of bed? You don't even think you can think another thought? You're so weary? Paul was burdened beyond his strength. He was despairing of life itself. He thought he was a goner. He thought it was over for him. And then there's this really, really amazing line that we have the tendency just to glaze over. And it says this, but that was to make us. But that was to make us. We should pause on that line when we think about what Paul is trying to communicate to us right now. He says, but that was to make us. It wasn't a lack of purpose in what God was allowing Paul to go through. God is making you into somebody when he gives you more than you can handle. And that somebody is a person who increasingly relies on God while relying less on themselves. Is God tricking you in this? When he gives you more than you can handle? Is he calling you to rely on something in his character that is proven to be unreliable or untrue? Is he marketing himself here like a product? Because I would venture to say that none of you all thinks that when you buy something, it's gonna last forever, right? In fact, a lifetime guarantee just means that when your product fails, you won't be liable for repairing or replacing it, right? But all of us think about the things in our lives that one by one are going to give out on us. They're not going to stick. But by learning to rely less on ourselves, we are being readied for something, is what Paul is going to tell us here. We're being readied for what lies ahead. This is what Paul says in 2 Corinthians 4. He says, for this light momentary affliction, light momentary affliction. If you know the story of Paul, his affliction was anything but light or momentary in the way we think of light and momentary. But he said, it's an affliction that is preparing us for an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we do what? As we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. He says, for the things that are seen, they're transient, man. That's what he's saying. But the things that are unseen are not transient. They're the opposite of transient. Some of you guys have been in cultures, urban, suburban, city cultures, which you would describe as transient. What does that mean? Well, what it means is people move in, they stay for a very short amount of time, and then they're out, and then they're gone forever. That's not what the Chandlers did. That's not what they did. But a transient culture is one that is constantly on the move. Paul is saying the things of God are not things that are always on the move, but they're unseen and they're eternal. What Paul learned here is that what God is allowing you to be put through can't be compared for what it's preparing you for. God giving, more, giving you more than you can handle. Here's what the interesting thing about that. It doesn't injure your faith. It increases it, right? You stop looking at what you can't see to be your truth because you realize that's short-sighted. 
That's transient. It's all over the place. It's in, it's out, it's up and down, it's out. But the unseen things of God are eternal and they increase your faith in the faithfulness of God. So God gives you more than you can handle so that you stop relying on your self-reliance to handle things. What a grace. What a grace that God gives us and that he is so reliable that he strips us of our self-reliance so that we can remember to rely on him. This is how astounding and confounding the faithfulness of God is, to give you more than you can handle so that you might stop relying on your unreliable self, but on God who raises the dead. You've never been able to describe anybody else like that. And if you have, they're lying and tell them to prove it to you. But a God who raises the dead on a God who has never broken a promise. Why? Well, because God is not only loyal, God is not only reliable, God is trustworthy. What does it mean that God is trustworthy? Well, it means that he will supply all of your needs. Philippians 4.19 tells us he will supply all of your needs in Jesus Christ. Everything that you need, everything that is required for life, godliness, and hope beyond the grave and salvation has been provided for you through Christ. God is trustworthy to uphold the truth of that promise. Jesus Christ is proof that God is not a father of lies, but he's a father of life. Since that's what Christ guarantees for all those who put their trust in him. So we wanna let this guard us against being suspicious of God's motives. Maybe you're suspicious of God's motives and you don't even know it. Maybe the fact that you don't even think and process and reflect and meditate on the faithfulness of God comes from a result of even subconsciously being suspicious of a God that you think has let you down in the past and so can't be counted on for the present and for the future. Jesus Christ is proof that God's motives for you couldn't be more obvious. They couldn't be more obvious. Imagine waking up every morning knowing that the one who just put another hour's worth of breath in your lungs will be faithful to uphold you and keep you and love you and have compassion on you even if the rest of your day, listen, turns into the book of Job. Fathom that. Imagine a God who is that trustworthy. Jesus gives us some insight in Luke 11 about the unstinginess, the trustworthy nature of God in Luke 11. Verse 11, he says, what father among you if his son asks for a fish will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Uh, if you don't like fish, you might prefer the serpent, but let's, that's not where we're going with this, okay? Or if he asks for an egg, we'll give him a scorpion. And then he says this, all right, just to put us all in our place. If you then, who are evil, you like how he's not beating around the bush? You like how he's getting right into the heart of our hearts? He says, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more 
will the heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? I mean, do you hear what he just said there? He said, how much more will God give us whatever we want to those who ask him? Is that what he just said? Actually, that's not what he just said. That's what we wish he just said, except for the fact that we just read how deceptive our hearts are and how we will ask for things that look good and feel good, but end up being more like a garbage good, right? Like the way I've been eating this weekend, right? Things that taste delicious, things that are good when they're going down, things that just make my eyes just bulge because I love all those sweets and I love all that cake and I love posting on Instagram about all that stuff. It fills my heart with delight and my body with sugar. I like all of that. It's good. I would describe it as good, but it's kind of a garbage good, right? doesn't really have what is needed to provide me with real health and real nourishment. God's more trustworthy than that. He's a more trustworthy father than that. Because here he says, how much more, how much more will he give the Holy Spirit. What do we know about the Holy Spirit? What he's saying here is how much more will he give you the comfort and the help to you when you ask of him for it? How much more will he provide the comforter, which is a way that the Holy Spirit is described, or the helper, which is another way that the Holy Spirit is described when you ask of him? So a trustworthy God can be depended on to give you what you don't even know that you need. Is there anybody in your life that can do that? Is there anybody in your life that you can trust to give you what you don't even know that you need? Maybe occasionally, right? We have some wisdom, we have some insight with people. We can tell them, hey, I really think you, you need this particular thing in your life. You're a little blind to it. You're not seeing it. But what about somebody who's 100% on that all the time? Someone who is unfailingly trustworthy. Because before you knew God, you didn't even know that you needed Jesus. And yet, as Paul tells us in Romans 5, 6, he says, for while we were still weak at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. That was you and that was me. So whether you've been unfaithful or been the victim of somebody's unfaithfulness, God's faithfulness, it covers all of that. We can trust God when we have a hard time trusting others. I have a hard time trusting some people, just like I know you have a hard time trusting certain people in your life. We trust God to forgive us when our faithlessness has maybe ruined a relationship or it's caused someone to doubt God's trustworthiness. It's cast somebody into doubt. Our faithlessness, our unfaithfulness, our disloyalty, our unreliability, it has power. It has power to do that in people's lives. So we remember that in our disloyalty, God is loyal. We remember that when we are unreliable, God is reliable. We remember that when we break trust, God is never shaken. Our call 
is to be faithful people so that people see our faithfulness and our move to faith in God. Do you realize that your faithfulness to God is used by him to bring others to faith? What a call. What a call. Do you realize that your faithlessness and your disloyalty and your lack of integrity and your dishonesty, God can also use those things to bring other people to faith when you go before him and others in repentance. Because God in his faithfulness and his total loyalty and his total reliability and his total trustworthiness can't be taken down by any of our actions. That's the level of faithfulness that we're talking about. It's insane. Jerry Bridges says, faithfulness to God, it includes faithfulness to others. So our call this morning is to remember the faithfulness of God and to pray that he would make us more faithful people. Bridges says, faithfulness to God includes faithfulness to others. But remember, you cannot become a faithful person merely by trying. There is a divine dimension to this, he says. But it is also true that you will not become a faithful person by not trying. So what does that even mean? Well, it means we ask for the Holy Spirit to help us while we work hard with his help. The engine is there to power you, but you got to engage the gas pedal. And that's how this works for us. So for the next few minutes, we're going to end our time by praying for faithfulness. We're going to thank God for some of the ways that he's been faithful to us. And then we're going to pray that God would use that faithfulness that he's poured into our hearts by the Holy Spirit, that we would become loyal and reliable people of integrity and honesty as he continues to grow his faithfulness in our lives. So this is going to be a bit of a a longer prayer, so I ask you just to get comfortable and bow your heads, and I'm going to lead us through that right now. Lord, we thank you for your faithfulness for being faithful to us, for delivering us from death, for showing your loyalty to us in all things, for being for us, for giving us more than we can handle so that we rely less on ourselves and more than you, for being a trustworthy God, for sending Christ to atone for our sins, Lord, because we were faithless to do it ourselves. And so we're going to take a few minutes now, God, to thank you for the ways that you have been loyal to us. Let's take a few minutes and recount some of those ways and thank him. Lord, we also confess the times that we have been disloyal to others. We pray that you would forgive us. Pray that you would make us a people that reflect your loyal character in all we say and do, trusting that the Spirit will strengthen us as we move forward in obedience. Let's take a few minutes. Let's think of maybe some of the ways that we have broken promises and been disloyal to others. Maybe this is a time where God surfaces some relationships that you may need to go and seek resolution in and to ask for forgiveness in. 
Let's pray that God would reveal those things to us and let's confess those things to him. Let's take a moment now to thank God for the ways that he has been reliable to us, that he has given us more than we can handle. And he has done that so that we might rely less on ourselves and more on him. Let's recount some of those ways and thank God for those moments and those circumstances and those seasons. Lord, we confess the times that we have not been reliable people, that we have let others down. We have not been people of which others could count on. And God, we pray for forgiveness. We pray that we would be people of integrity and that people might know that they can rely on us to be true to our word and that we say what we mean and that we mean what we say. And Lord, we thank you that this is the very character of Christ and that for those of us who know Jesus, we have this character. God, strengthen us to live this out. And finally, Lord, we want to thank you for the ways that you've been trustworthy to supply all of our needs in Christ. And let's take a moment now to thank the Lord for his trustworthiness, for supplying all of our needs through his son. And Lord, we thank you for not shortchanging us. We thank you for not being a stingy father. We thank you that you supply all of our needs. And we also confess that we don't know what those needs are all the time. And we also confess those times we've not trusted you to supply our needs and we've fallen into worry and anxiety. Maybe we find ourselves in deep worry and deep anxiety today. So we confess that to you, God. We pray that you would redirect our hearts or turn our gaze back to you. Lord, allow us to remember the endless supply of grace, of mercy, of provision. Lord, we also confess those times we have not been trustworthy and faithful to our friends and our family and our church family. We pray that you would forgive us we know that in Jesus we find forgiveness of sins and that you are faithful to forgive us our sins when we confess them. And so, Lord, as I invite the ushers to come up, Lord, we want to remember Christ right now. We want to remember his broken body, his shed blood. God, we want to remember the trustworthiness of you to do what you said you were going to do, to supply all of our needs in Christ, to give us the spiritual nourishment that we lack, to give us everything we need so that we might have peace with you, so that we might know that you are a loving father, so that we don't have to live lives absent of hope. This is only possible because of the cross. And so, Lord, as we take of the bread, we drink of the cup, Lord, we remember Jesus. We remember the price he paid. Lord, we pray that our hearts would burst with thankfulness and with joy for such an undeserved gift. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.